All right, so let me pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for mothers. Thank you for families. And Lord, we do pray that today would be just a special day to honor uh, our moms. And uh, Lord, may, uh, may they know uh, that you use them as part of your plan to raise up a generation, a godly generation, and uh, use this morning's message toward that end. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, um, we're done with our study of the land of Israel. And um, here's kind of what's rolling around in my mind. Um, We're going to talk about being a disciple for a number of weeks. Then um, I would like, I'm feeling led, to do the life of David, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, in days ahead. Okay, Um, And then this... Uh, this year is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. So at some point, I would like to do a series on the Reformation. So discipleship, David, and the Reformation. Look at that. Um, <laughs> uh, so we'll, th- that's, that's where we want to head uh, for the rest of the year. Um, but let me tell you this, Mother's Day is a tough day to preach because, um, so let, let's say the preacher wants to honor the mom, so what do you do? Oh, let's go to Proverbs 31 and you read about the perfect woman. She does nothing wrong. Uh, she raises her kids perfectly and she's a perfect wife and she is a real estate agent and she does this and she does that and she's just perfect and the women leave feeling beat up and like, I'm not her. Right, so that's a, that's a tough one to do. So then there's the option of let's not preach about women. Let's go after the dads. Let's do a dad improvement sermon. Um, and the, the, the wives love that. But then there's always the guy who comes up afterwards and says, do we get even on Father's Day? You know, Are you going to let them have it on Father's Day? So it turns into competition. Um, so here's what I want to do today. I don't want to talk uh, specifically to moms or specifically to dads, men, or I want to talk to all of us about being a disciple of Jesus. In fact, think about it. I think sometimes we get ahead of the game with messages on how to be a better father, how to be a better mother, how to be a better hus- uh, husband or wife. Okay, um, Let's step back and just ask this. Are you first a disciple? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Because if you're not, then all the rest is just a list of rules of legalism. You're following the word of God to to be uh, a father or a mother or a better parent has to flow from a transformed heart, from being a disciple of Christ. Now, um, I've been doing a a lot of thinking about what is a disciple, mainly because here's our marching orders. If the church has one marching order, it's to make disciples. Jesus said this, and this is after he rose from the dead. He gathers his disciples 
Uh, and it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, churches are, are, are really into, like, like, let's form a vision statement or a mission statement, and they come up with all these interesting uh, ways to, to form a mission. Like, our, our mission is to provide spiritual encounters to our postmodern generation through the arts, coffee, and tattoos. You know, like that's the hip, hip church. The problem with that is there's nothing in there about making disciples. In fact, the problem with that is they've turned their style into their mission. People today, the young generation, is into coffee and tattoos, and so let's be a church about that. So, so they've turned style into their mission. You know what? The mission's not that hard. Make disciples. Now, you can say it in different ways. We say it, um, helping people find and follow God. We, in fact, we started singing that this morning. But we should be about making disciples. How do you do it? You preach the gospel. People are transformed by the gospel. And then you teach. Right? Teaching. Teaching them. To, it's all, it's, the word of God is what transforms. So a disciple-making church is one that preaches the gospel and teaches the word of God. That's how you make disciples. So what is a disciple, though? Well, I think if you were to study the Great Commission and the word disciple, if you did a word study on the word disciple throughout the New Testament, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to condense it into one statement here. Okay, Disciple is a born-again, baptized follower of Jesus. And that word follower has a lot to it follower, obedient follower of Jesus that loves, so here we have more than just in the head, but we've got the heart, that loves the Lord, other believers, and neighbors with all their heart. Pretty comprehensive picture of a disciple. Now I'm sure it's not, you know, you could think of different things to add or emphasize, but I would say a disciple from a comprehensive view of, 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 of a study of the concept is a born-again baptized follower of Jesus that loves the Lord, believers, and neighbors with all their heart. So here's, here's my question to you. Are you a disciple? Are you a disciple? Is, in fact, is that your primary identity? Or is it first, I'm a salesman, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mom, I'm a dad. Or are you first 
a disciple. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to focus in just on one element of this. A disciple is a born again. Right? Let's talk about being born again. Ten points on Mother's Day. You go, ten points? We'll be here till Father's Day. No, some of them are very quick. Okay. Point number one, being a born again. There's no such thing as a non-born-again Christian. There's no such thing as a non-born-again Christian. Now, the term born-again has actually kind of become a derogatory term. I'm a Christian, but not one of them born-againers, is what people will say. And they mean by that, well, I'm not a fanatic. Well, um, there's no such thing as a truly, a true Christian who hasn't been born again. Let me take a look at the classic passage in John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now the Pharisees, they knew their Bibles backwards and forwards. They knew all the rules and they enforced them amongst one another and upon other people. And in addition to being a Pharisee, he was on the Sanhedrin. So this is a top Pharisee. This man came to Jesus by night, which tells you he's not 100% sure about this Jesus, so I'm going to sneak up at night. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So, Hey, Jesus, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big dog. I'm a, I'm a Pharisee. I'm on the Sanhedrin, and I've been watching you, and I kind of think you're from God. I, I'm going to judge you and let you know that I think you are, you're from God. Now, Jesus turns the tables on him, and he says this. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You're, you're, you're kind of on the right track here, Mr. Nicodemus. But you're not born again. And unless you're born again, you can't even understand the things of God. You can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, one of the devices in John's gospel is when Jesus teaches, he is speaking... Uh, figuratively, and they take him literally in a lot of places. I will tear down this temple and rebuild it in three days. They thought he was talking about the literal temple. He was talking about his body. The woman at the well. Uh, if you came to me, I'd give you living water. Well, tell me about this water. I'd like some, li- give me some water. And he's not talking about water. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Right? John 6. You got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. There are still people today who take that literally. He was talking about believing in him. And here... What do you, you mean I got to be born a second time? Okay. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born Again, so several times Jesus says, you must be born again or you can't even see 
the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me define what that is in just a second. But you say, is this just one odd place where it talks about being born again? No. Uh, Peter, in 1 Peter 3, he's blessing God. And, he's, and it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. John talked about being born again. Peter talked about being born again. And in, uh, in John's letters, a number of times, he says things like this. 1 John 3, 9. No one born of God, same concept, makes a practice of sinning. Now, that's not teaching sinless perfection. It's teaching you can't go on the way you were before you were born of God. But the concept of being born again, born from above, being given spiritual life by God, is a concept throughout the New Testament. It's, it's not a denomination. You know, you've got your, your, uh, your Baptists and your Methodists and your born-againers. No, it's not a denomination. It's a necessary element of salvation. If you are truly a Christian, you have been born again. If you have not been born again, you're not a Christian. So, what is being born again? Being born again involves God reaching into your soul, into your heart, and taking out your heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh, a soft heart that beats for him. Now you can tell you've been given this new heart when you believe the gospel. When you start to understand that you are a sinner who deserves eternal damnation and that your only hope is what Jesus did for you on the cross. He died in your place. And your heart now trusts him and loves him and worships him and obeys him. Right? That's a picture of what it means to be born again. Okay? But let's get the idea out of our head that born again is a denomination or it's just a, a description of the, the freaky people. No. Jesus said, if you're not born again, you're not a Christian. You're not, you're not, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Point number two. And now these are going to go quick. These are... These are four things that being born again is not. All right? Being born again is not simply getting religious. All of Israel was religious, but most of them were not saved. The most religious of the religious were the Pharisees. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and Jesus said to him, uh, in fact, in, in verse 10, Jesus says to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? So, not only was Nicodemus a Pharisee, not only was Nicodemus on the Sanhedrin, but Jesus calls him, using the article, 
the teacher of Israel. He may have been the most prominent teacher in Israel. Yet Jesus says, you don't get it. How can you be that religious and not get it? Well, theological seminaries and pulpits all over the world are filled with religious teachers who are not born again. Nicodemus is one of them. In fact, look what Jesus says about the the true spiritual status of the Pharisees. He says to them, You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte or convert, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. You're not an evangelist, you're an anti-evangelist. You think you're converting people to have a relationship with God, and all you're doing is giving them a bunch of rules. You're a son of hell, and they're sons of hell. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? So, being born again is not getting religious. Lots of religious people are not born again. Okay? Second thing, or this is number three, being born again is not believing in the supernatural. Nicodemus believes in the supernatural. In fact, this is what he says. Rabbi, Jesus, we know that you are a teacher come from God for, because, no one can do these signs, these miracles that you do unless God is with him. Well, he's got enough spiritual radar to recognize that God is real, God does miracles, and the miracles that Jesus is doing are from God but he's not born again. The crowds loved the miracles that Jesus was doing, but believing that God does miracles and even wanting to see miracles and even praying for a miracle doesn't mean you're born again. I mean, who hasn't prayed? God, please heal grandma. Right? God, please get me out of this mess. Do a miracle. But that's not the same thing as being Born again. Okay. So being born again is not believing in the supernatural. Number four, being born again is not living a moral life. Let's, let's put it this way. Um, there are some truly born again saved Christians who were saved from a very depraved life, and they, they are growing but from an outward perspective, they're, they're not even as far along morally as others who were brought into this world in a highly moral family, but they're not born again. In other words, they, from outward appearances, look more moral than this Christian. Okay, Now, add to the, the Pharisee... Um, the idea that they are all about looking good. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. You know, wanting to be seen 
as moral or religious is a strong motive for morality. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but it's all appearance. So being born again is not getting religious. It's not believing in the supernatural. It's not appearing moral. Let me give you another one. Being born again is not water baptism. Now, this is, this is where uh, a lot of people read this and they go, oh, Jesus is talking about being baptized. In verse 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, and people automatically read baptism, and that's when you get the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Okay? So, um, there are uh, different groups that hold to this. They think this is talking about water baptism. First of all, there are those who think that baptizing the baby gives them spiritual life. Okay? Then there are those who say, no, no, we don't believe in infant baptism. We believe that um, you, they believe in believer's baptism. You need to believe and then be baptized, but they would believe you don't get the Holy Spirit until you're baptized. And I don't think this verse is talking about baptism at all. Now, there's three primary interpretations that people have held to with this verse. The one is that it's referring to water baptism, and that's when you get the Holy Spirit. I think that's wrong. I'll tell you why in a minute. Second one is there are those who say that the water here is referring to natural birth. So you need to be born naturally, and the the sack of water in the woman's womb, you're born of water, that's natural birth, and then you're born of the Spirit. That's spiritual birth. That's through believing in Jesus. And the, the idea behind this is Jesus distinguishes between being born of flesh and born of the Spirit. So there seems to be a reference to the natural and then to the spiritual. Uh, water is the natural, and the, being born again is, is born of the Spirit. Okay? The only problem is that's not that term being born of water isn't used anywhere else in Scripture of natural birth. Here's what I think it means. Who's Jesus talking to? Pharisee. New Testament hadn't been written yet, so what was his scriptures? His scriptures were was the Old Testament. Okay. What would a Pharisee, what passage would a, a Pharisee think of that connects water and the Spirit and a new life? Ding, 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 ding. A Pharisee would have gone, oh, that's Ezekiel chapter 36. In Ezekiel 36, God tells the people of Israel, I'm going to, I need to, to do a new thing. You know, in the old covenant, there was nothing wrong with the covenant except your hearts. You didn't have the ability to, to live it. So I'm going to create a new covenant. And in Jeremiah, the term new covenant is used, but the same concept is, is here in Ezekiel 36. This is what's, what, what I'm going to do in the future is what God says. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart 
and a new spirit. So here we got water, a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of uh, I, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I think when Jesus says you must be born of water and the spirit, he's saying you must receive, you must get the new heart that Ezekiel talked about. Yeah, it involves water, cleansing, forgiveness, and it involves the Holy Spirit being put inside of you. So, I don't think it's referring to water baptism. I don't think it's referring to natural birth. I, I believe it's referring to this passage. Okay? Now, um, point number six. Being born again is the result of God giving a supernatural heart change. Okay? Being born again involves God doing a miracle in your heart. Let, let me go back. Notice the I. The I is God. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. You can't give yourself a new heart. So, so folks... Now, the, the self-sufficient, I-can-do-it American says, being born again is something I do. Scripture says being born again is something God does to you. That's, that's like you saying, I need a new heart. I'm going to do heart surgery on myself. You can't do it. You need God to do a miracle so being born again involves God giving you a new heart. And now you're awake to the things of God and you do see yourself as a sinner and you do see that Christ died for you and you trust in him with all your heart and then he moves you to follow him as a result of that new heart. Now, if salvation really is a supernatural miracle of God, is it possible for people to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm born again, but there's no change? No. That's, that's like a person with a bad heart dying on the table. They put a new heart in. It's a healthy heart, but they continue to die. It, it wasn't a healthy heart then. A new God-given heart will produce a change. You know, there's some new Barna statistics out. And he, he, he surveyed Americans. 70% of Americans claim to be Christian. 30% claim to be born again. So here we have over 50% say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not born again. I don't have anything to do with those fanatics. Okay? But then, only 10% have a basic worldview. And, and what he's talking about here is only about 10% of Americans 
have had their minds changed to think biblically. Okay. Now, Barna seems to think the solution is let's do a better job of teaching worldviews in the church, and now you can get his program to, uh, to teach worldview thinking. I think he kind of has it reversed. Until the heart is changed, the mind won't change. Now, I think there does need to be biblical teaching. That's why Jesus said the way you make disciples is you teach, you teach, you teach, right? But a new program on worldview, Christian worldview thinking is not what changes the heart. What changes the heart? The gospel. So, you know, I appreciate lots of people have ideas. Let's grow the church this way, this way, this way. I appreciate all that. Sometimes I get the, the impression people don't really understand or they really don't believe that God is sovereign in salvation. I think a lot of people have this idea, well, if we just do this marketing program, do the, present things differently, uh, tweak things here, have uh, Starbucks coffee, or have, uh, I don't know, it, it, it's all externals, and it's the program, and you put them through the program, and that'll make a bigger church. We don't want a bigger church. We want a bigger population of born-again people. And not everybody gets a new heart. I mean, if you really think your programming can produce more true Christians, then take your program to, to Europe where the, where the Christian population is decreasing. Take it to the Muslim countries. It, it should automatically work, shouldn't it? You see... It's only the supernatural heart surgery that God performs in a person that makes them truly born again. Now, let me go on to a seventh point. You must be born again is not the gospel. You know, some people hear this and they say, well, we better go around and stress the importance of being born again. So you're on a new kick now. And you run into people at work and you must be born again. You must be born again. That's not the gospel. That's not what saves people. What saves people? Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You must be born again. It's not the gospel. The gospel is, hey, sinners who see your peril before God, God has done something for you. It is very kind. He died on a cross to pay your debt. Believe in him. That's what saves you, not the message you must be born again. But guess what? You must be born again to believe the gospel. Okay? Number eight, you, you know you've been born again if you believe the gospel message, right? It's the gospel message that saves you. Now, 
you go, okay, as I look back, I don't remember like a, a feeling. I've heard other people's testimonies where they were born again and it was explosive. You know, the dramatic conversion stories. And you go, I didn't feel a warm tingle in my heart or up my leg or whatever it is. Okay. You know what? Some people have dramatic conversions. Some people don't. You know what determines whether you've been born again? Believing the gospel with all your heart. Here in uh, Philippi, Paul preaches the gospel. There's a group of women by the river. They're God-fearers. And it says this. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Here it is. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That's it. She paid attention. By the way, one sign that you're not born again is you're bored with every sermon. You go, Pastor, quit preaching boring sermons. <laughs> They're really not. Oh, I know about boring sermons. These are actually... But the non-born-again person is just, their mind is elsewhere. They care less about this stuff. And, of course, they have the critique about the sermon all the time. But um, the... the, the the being bored with the things of God and the preaching of the word of God is a sign that you might not be born again. But here, her, her being born again. You know, Paul, Paul, when he was born again, Jesus appeared and struck him with lightning and he was blind, struck him with light and he was blind for three days. That's dramatic. Here, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to the gospel. C.S. Lewis writes that the day he was born again, he was on a bus going to the zoo. When he got on the bus, he did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. When he got off the bus, he believed that Jesus was the Son of God. Doesn't say he was reading the Bible, does it? He, now, maybe it's somebody had preached the gospel and he'd been thinking about it. But on a bus to the zoo, the Lord opened his heart to believe the gospel. He was born again on a bus to the zoo. You can be born again. By the way, you don't have to have the altar call. I had a guy once say, how does people get saved in your church? You don't have them come forward. I go, in our church, God can save them in the seats. <laughs> can save them on a bus. Can save them in a tree. What's that? Go, dog, go? No. On a bus, on a fish, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> But some people are brought up in the Southern Baptist culture where, you know, at the end of the service, you've got to play, just as I am, 37 times until somebody comes forward. 
And people are like, we're not going to get out of here till Johnny, go forward, you know. And they come down the aisle, and they kneel at the altar. And and then here's a little trick the preacher does. Well, if you you can come forward for salvation. Anybody come forward? All right, come forward for rededication. Come forward if you need prayer. Come forward if you need a hug. You know, it's just like they'll, they'll keep expanding the category to get some movement forward. And then we, it was a successful day because we got people walking the aisle. You're born again by believing the gospel. Not necessarily by the magical altar call, which is not found anywhere in Scripture. If there's anything in Scripture, it's you get in the water. <laughs> right? We're going to talk about that next week. Okay. Now, let me keep going here. Number, did I cover all that point here? All right. Uh, so you know you've been born again by believing the gospel, if you believe the gospel. Number nine, those who are born again will not be scared away by Jesus' high demand for discipleship. So, Luke 14, now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, and there's a number of places where there's large crowds following Jesus, so what does he do? He purposely thins out the crowd. He would flunk every church growth and and every evangelism program that's been made by the American Evangelical Church. He didn't do it right. Because he's scaring people away, not drawing them in. He didn't follow the church growth booklet. Okay, So he says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, it's Mother's Day, you got a hater, and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. He can't be my disciple. You can't be my disciple, Jesus says. If you have higher allegiance in your heart toward the natural people you love in your family than you do me. Yeah, I want to be number one. What's he saying? You're to have no other gods before me, including your own family. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, he had not gone to the cross yet. But when they heard the word cross, they didn't think, you know, we, we use the term cross today. Oh, I've, have, I've, got, to, I've got this cross, this burden to, to, to carry. What is your cross? Oh, my mother-in-law is my cross. Right? My car is my cross. no. They thought of hanging with nails in your arms, dying in a torturous way. And Jesus is saying, you've got to be willing to do that daily if you want to be my disciple. Now, to be clear here, with Reformation coming up, he's not saying you do this stuff to earn salvation. He's saying you're saved by faith alone. But true faith alone in me produces such a love that I am number one and I am willing to die. Now, those who have a new heart or whom God is drawing to himself are not scared away by this. 
They may say, I don't know if I can live up to this. There's a humility that says, boy, in my own flesh, I'm going to fail. But I desire that. I desire to be that. But the unregenerate heart, the non-born-again heart says, I don't need this. My life's hard enough. I don't need this. So Jesus was not afraid to throw out his super high demand for being a disciple. Why? Because it's not his persuasive words and his coffee bar that's drawing people to him. It's the new heart. It's the miraculous supernatural change of heart. And they can't fall away from him. Right? Last point. Being born again looks like the parable of the discovered treasure and the pearl of great price. So um, I have this concept in my mind that the gospel of Matthew, it ends with, go make disciples. What's a disciple? Don't you think Matthew, in his gospel, would give, basically, isn't it a, a, a manual for making disciples? For uh, what a disciple needs to know about Jesus. And I think within Matthew's gospel, he gives us a picture of what it means to be born again. Picture, uh, a picture of what it looks like. And it's in Jesus' parable. It's two parables, shortest parables. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, not in his boredom, not in his duty, but in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The treasure is the gospel. And when you hear it, if you're born again, it fills you with joy because the greatest thing in the world is being made right with God. Now, do you have to buy salvation? No. No, this is not teaching that you're buying salvation. Salvation is by faith alone But when you trust in Christ, you're giving all you have to him. You're willing to die for him. You're willing to use all your money for him. You're willing to risk your reputation for him. Not as as buying salvation, but as a result of this transaction going on in your heart. So then he tells a similar parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now here's a guy who knows valuable pearls. He's found the perfect pearl. I will give all I have for that pearl. The pearl is Christ. Okay? Now, um, for some people, 
this heart transaction can be very dramatic for other people. It can just be a quiet, settled thing. But you know you're born again when Christ is your highest treasure. He is the pearl of great price. And you would trade everything in to have him. Are you born again? Are you a disciple? Let's not skip to the how-to manual yet. How to be a better father, how to be a better... Have you had that heart surgery? Now, I know some of you are going, well, wait a minute, if it's a, if it's a supernatural thing um, and, and it's nothing we can do, then why are you telling, asking us, have you been born again? I think you can recognize whether you have or haven't. Or maybe your spouse can. Right? Maybe your kids can. Or maybe you can with your kids. Okay. But part of the process of being born again is realizing I'm not born again. I don't know how people who say, I don't know if I am or not, can live. I I don't know how you can enjoy Mother's Day brunch not secure in your salvation. I mean, there was a time I doubted my salvation. I had to quit what I was doing, and I had to go and seek God with all my heart. I don't want to go to hell. I must be saved. Now, the good news is, when that's your obsession, he casts no one away who truly comes to him and desires salvation. So if you say, well, what if I seek after it? And he says, no, you're not born. He won't. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call upon him. Ask him to to do that heart surgery. Trust in Christ, the only hope of salvation. Your mother gave you physical birth. He will give you spiritual birth. All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, do your work. Do your surgery in our hearts. Lord, may we be a people that glorifies you by truly being your disciples. But Lord, we can't do that in our own strength. We need you to transform our hearts. So Lord, I pray you would do that work of transformation Lord, for those who may be deceived about their salvation, make it abundantly clear today, this week. Show them their need. Lord, those who are doubting, reassure them if they're truly born again. But Lord, make our single obsession, our pearl of great price, you and your cross. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.